where you live, probably get a variety of answers, right? But they're all usually related to a physical location. Oh, I live in Iowa. Or with me, I'd say, well, I live at 2311 Franklin Street in Cedar Falls. That's my, my physical address. Or live in a house, as opposed to an apartment or, or you know, on my car or something like that. Um, maybe, maybe you just say, well, I live in a state of confusion. <laughs> That's reasonable. So everybody lives somewhere. Even if that somewhere, unfortunately, is outside under a bridge. Unfortunately, that's where some people live. Now, I ask this question because in Colossians 3, we're going to get two very different answers to the idea of where we live. And those answers help give us a different perspective on how we think about our lives as followers of Jesus. Now, we're currently, you'll recall, in a section of Colossians where Paul is contrasting following Jesus against following worldly philosophies and ideas and rules and that sort of stuff. And the first part of that discussion was in chapter 2, verses 8 through 19. And there were three things we got from that. First, we're not to be taken captive by worldly philosophies or ideas that run counter to Christ. So no, no weird laws of attraction, no Eckhart Tolle, no Oprah Winfrey, no none of that stuff. Okay, bad. Secondly, we're not to let anybody judge us by their legalisms. And what we mean by that is specifically religious ideas or rules that are not part of following Jesus. Now, every flavor and tradition of, of Christianity has some of its own legalisms. I pointed out that the church that I grew up in was one of those churches where there's no rated R movies and no dancing, women couldn't wear pants to church, that sort of thing. Those are all legalisms, not the scriptures. I always thought it was funny if guys came to church dressed like men dressed in Bible times, people would find that really strange. The, the Jews wore robes, right? Like a dress. I personally, I think it looks very comfortable. You know, I'm like Benedictine ones, you know? I could just pull it over my head and I could just stop it. original hoodie. <laughs> Third, we're only to look to Jesus himself. He's God in the flesh. He provides in himself complete salvation, complete forgiveness from sin, complete victory over the forces of darkness. For anybody who commits to following him, he is the narrow road to eternal life in himself. Then last Sunday, we finished chapter 2, the last few verses, where Paul talks about how, how rules are not really helpful and sometimes hurtful. They often look like wisdom. They seem like they make sense, the rules. Right? Because they're easy to judge. You can easily use the rules to judge by. Especially because they allow us to evaluate other people by their outward appearances. But they also often lead to legalism and they make usually no difference in what matters to God. Because our legalisms allow us to judge without knowing what God knows and what God judges by, which is the heart. Our legalisms allow us to feel better about ourselves as if we're somehow better people because we follow some rule and other people do not. And so we concluded last Sunday kind of with a challenge to think about things we believe or maybe use to judge others consciously or otherwise. Are those things really of Jesus? 
Or are they personal convictions? Or maybe they're just rules we grew up with that are look like wisdom and sound like wisdom, but they're nothing. And then we also left with the question, so what should we do? What should we do? How can I put into practice this idea of looking only to Jesus? What do I do to determine between rules and following Jesus? We're not supposed to be captive to the world philosophy. We're not we're going to avoid legalism. We're not to be making up a bunch of rules that aren't going to really help us anyway. So what are we supposed to do? I mean, all, all that stuff, okay, fine. I get it. I'm not supposed to do that. What should I do? Well, fortunately, Paul answered that question in chapter 3. And he's going to begin by reminding us what it means to be spiritually alive. Because the first thing he's going to tell us is that we're dead of the world and alive to Jesus. Let's look at the first part of verse 1 and verse 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And verse 3 says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now if you remember last week, I, I maybe you don't, but if you do, that first verse, verse 20 of chapter 2 that we started with last week, has very similar language where it says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it you are still alive in the world? Do you submit to regulations? So last week we had, if you've died to something. Now this week we have, you've been raised to something. Now in both these cases, it is an equally valid translation choice to just replace that if with the word since. Because that's equally valid under the rules of translating Greek statements like this. These are what are called, if you want to know the fancy seminary terms, first-class conditions. And all a first-class condition is, is a, is a condition that is meant to be a fact. So when he says, if, here you can also read them like this, Colossians 3.1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, lastly, sense with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world. In other words, these, these two verses describe something about our present spiritual state, which is dead to things that are part of the world and raised to be with Christ, where he's presently at the right hand of God. In other words, even though we're physically located in this world, you're here in this room with me right now, physically, reach out, you know, touch me, whatever, right? Keep my water bottle, throw it, bonk out of it, so you know he's really here. Um, right? You got a water bottle. Is empty already? Pretty bottle already? Pretty water bottle. Spiritually, when you're physically here, spiritually we have to see ourselves already with Jesus. We're with him, where he's been raised, to the right hand of the Father. We are raised with him, it says. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And we are spiritually with him. And so that is the first answer to this question about where do you live? Well, according to Paul, we live hidden with Christ, seated in the heavens. We can't see it yet. Because it's so physically here. But it means our spiritual reality, since we are now dead spiritually in this world and sin, its ways of thinking, our spiritual reality now is to be with Jesus, seated with Christ. Look what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. 
Same idea. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship is in heaven. Now I might I might be a physical citizen of the USA. I have I will in my safe deposit box, John Bank, I have a birth certificate from the Stambo, Michigan Hospital where I was born. Hospital no longer exists, but I promise you I was born because that piece of paper says so. With a little embossed seal on it, right? And paper clips to that is my officially issued from our glorious United States government Social Security card, right? With my Social Security identification number on it. That means I'm a real person. I'm a United States citizen. But my real, permanent, eternal citizenship is in heaven with Christ already. This country's not going to last forever. I mean, it might outlast me. I hope so. Because the Lord carried it. Maybe not for sure. I hope so. My kids say, my grandkids say. But eternally, my citizenship is with Christ. And it's already there. So I'm already seated with him in the heavenly spiritually. Look at what look at Jesus himself tells us we're not to be part of this world. Chapter 15, verse 19 of the Gospel of John. Jesus is talking, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So you're not of this world. Because you spiritually died to it. You're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so maybe the world's not going to like us because of that. And Jesus warns us of that. Because my citizenship isn't here. Ultimately it's in heaven. Because I'm already with Jesus. That's the spiritual reality of my life right now. And so, I'm already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2 6 has the same idea. That tells me what I need to be focusing on, and that I need to focus on things above. Let's go back to Colossians 3, verse 1. Then, if then, or since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, because that's where I've been raised to. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now these verses give us an entirely another answer to the question, where do you live? Now what do I mean by that? Well, where do you live? We live in our minds. Think about it. All our senses, all our perceptions, our emotions, our wills, our thinking, how we see the world, all of that takes place in here. If you think about it, you're sort of landlocked. Right? You're trapped in your own head. I can't get it. I mean, I can, I can learn about Tyler, right? And I can sort of say, well, I think Tyler would think about this like this or whatever, right? Tyler would just keep tearing apart until he figured out what was wrong and then get taken to the next But I can't get into Tyler's mind. I can't be Tyler. Tyler can't be me, right? He can learn things. He could ask himself, well, I think Pastor Wolver would say this. He'd say, whatever you're thinking, don't do it. <laughs> but that's the thing. We're landlocked in our own heads. It all takes place inside us, in our minds. Our joys, our pains, our fears, our feelings. 
all of that occurs inside us. And what our minds is set upon, what they're set upon, that's going to control the focus of our lives. What's going on in here is going to make a huge difference in your life. And here's the thing. You get to choose that focus. You get to choose it. I'm reminded of what the great emperor Marcus Aurelius says in the meditations. And if you've never read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, you really should. Dude was not a Christian. He was a total pagan. But he was a very smart guy. And he says this. If you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. In other words, if you're out there stressing about something, it's in your own head. And you can stop. You can choose differently. But hey, don't take the emperor's word for it, because I mean, I realize he's not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus. How about what Jesus himself says? Matthew 6. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, don't be anxious. Seek the kingdom. What that tells me is that Jesus tells me, don't be anxious. And he tells me, if you seek the kingdom, and then he says, don't be anxious again. Guess what? I have a choice. I'm not saying it's an easy choice. I'm just saying you've got a choice. Look at Paul in Philippians. Very first, probably all heard. Chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer, everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then, you've got to make sure when you're, when you're quoting that verse, Okay? Everybody likes that about you know, prayer and petition and don't be, you know. Make sure you tack on what he says in verse 8. Because it's really, to me, the hidden gem here in the passage. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, fill your heads with good stuff. In both of these passages, we're basically told we've got a choice. You can focus on anxiety, or you can focus on something else. Jesus tells us you can focus on the kingdom, on the kingdom's righteousness. That's serving God, what Jesus wants. For Paul, he lists out a whole bunch of things that are good, which he might elsewhere, in a place like Colossians, maybe describe them as the things that are above. Set your mind on things above. Well, what kind of things are above? Well, things that are honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent, worthy of praise. So we can choose any time what we're focusing on. And if that focus is not serving us well, we can choose again. You ever had, where like you get a pain somewhere, or like you're around somebody who's sick, right? And then suddenly, you start wondering, am I having a heart attack? Am I getting sick? I was around somebody and I go, right? Your nose starts itching, right? Your eyes start watering because you were around somebody that you know is sick. And now, I, I must have got it. Where's my mask? <laughs> right? Why does it happen? 
focusing on that pain or on that sickness and then it runs around in our heads and drives us crazy. Even though we're not really sick and we're not having a heart attack. A long time ago, I remember mentioning to my doctor that I was kind of worried about my heart and I was like checking my heart rate like 10 times an hour. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, kind of squints at me and he goes, don't do that. <laughs> Probably good advice. We're going to get what we think about, what we focus on. So choosing wisely on what occupies our minds makes a huge difference then in how we follow Jesus. Earlier in Matthew 6, in that same section from the Sermon on the Mount that I read from before about the kingdom of righteousness and anxiousness, what, is, what does Jesus say? Verses 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our treasure is, that's where our hearts will be. Paul might say to life, wherever you set your mind, whatever you set your mind on, that's where you're going to be living your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be. Where you set your mind, that's where your life's going to be. You set your mind on things above, seated with Christ, that's where your life's going to be. If you're constantly worried about worldly things, well, your life's going to be there. Now, let's be honest. I don't think I've, I mean, I may have made it slightly clearer, but I highly doubt I've told any of you anything you've basically didn't argue. But it's really hard work. Because there are a million things every day that want our focus and our attention. And some of them are good, and some of them are bad, and some of them are actually really important. Although I would argue that probably fewer, the fewer of them are really important than you think, if you really have. If you ask the question, will this matter six hours, six days, six weeks, six months from now, probably half or more of the things we suddenly think are really important probably really aren't that important. Or worse, they're important to somebody else and to us, they're like, I really don't care. But I guess I have to do this because that person is my boss. Like, if Renee's husband calls me and wants me to do something, I'm going to do it. Jesus Christ, 
dominates his thought and fills his mind. That's what it means to set your mind on things above. Focus everything back to Jesus. Now, before Paul in the next part of chapter 3 is really going to flesh that out because a big majority of the rest of chapter 3 is Paul is going to contrast those worldly ways of thinking with setting your mind on things above. Before he says that, he makes one more, one more point. And that is what is hidden will be revealed. Let's look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I think this is kind of what Horatio Spafford was talking about, right? In the lyric from It Is Well With My Soul. You remember that song? I hope you do. When the faith shall become sight, when the faith shall become sight, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall become sight. See, this earthly struggle has an end in sight. There's coming a time when there's been no longer, we're not going to any longer have to live in this tension between this world and the next, between the things of this world and the things of above, <coughs> between these things and between Christ. Because someday Jesus will appear in person, physically, in his glorious return, just as I reminded you when we had the bread. He came once physically, he's coming back again physically. And one part of that is that we too will appear with him in glory. What the glory here means is that when either we have physically died or we've been caught up in the air to meet him at his return, 1 Thessalonians, we will be glorified. We will be made perfect. As 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, what is corruptible will become incorruptible. See, that's the tongue twister. All the corruption will be gone and we will become incorruptible. We will be changed. Physically resurrected, made glorious. No more sin, no more struggle, no more pain, no more disease. I don't have to hit the weight room anymore. Okay. There are weight rooms in Trinity. I'll already look like Arnie. I was watching Conan yesterday. I thought to myself, that's eternity. Maybe not. yesterday as I was finishing this sermon, I was kind of meditating on why in the middle of this whole discussion of don't follow things in the world of legalisms, look to Christ, set your mind on things above, does he throw, and he's going to go right back in verse 5, he's going to talk about corruptible, sinful, worldly things, and then after that he's going to talk about heavenly things. Okay? But right in the middle he sticks his verse in, he's talking about when Jesus returns. About us appearing in glory. In glory. I, I, sat, I spent a lot of time thinking about that yesterday. And my, my answer to why he suddenly sticks that in there. Someday I'll get to ask him and find out. And who knows, right? It's probably been so long for Paul since he wrote Paul. He'll look at me and be like, did I put that in there? He <laughs> <laughs> said, you know, I can do almost anything if I know that the work is headed to a good purpose and that the struggle is not forever. When we were buried under snow and you know it was bitter cold a few weeks ago, I reminded myself that this was not forever and that the glories of spring in Iowa will only come after the bitterness of winter. And in God's plan for our world, winter serves 
a biological and ecological purpose. Is there for a reason? I may not necessarily like it when it's 20 below outside and that snow is blowing around and I still really need to go to the grocery store. But it's there and it's not forever. Paul is reminding us that the struggle of having to work hard and setting our minds on things above has an ending. It's not forever. It will not be forever. It's just for a time. And it has a purpose. In fact, several, which we're going to see coming up in the rest of chapter 3. Not forever. Yeah, it's tough. It's hard work. Gotta be vigilant. But not forever. We can tough it out with Christ's help and the Spirit's help. And we can do it. It's for a good purpose. So we're to set our minds on things above. How do we do that? I want to give you some practical tips. Just some things you can try if you haven't thought about them yourself. So the next time you find yourself turning to negative worldly thinking, try refocusing that thing or anxiety or whatever it is. Try refocusing that thinking on Jesus and what he might be doing in that. In spiritual direction, one of the most important questions we ask is, what do you think Jesus is doing in this? Where do you see Jesus in this? Don't be surprised if you come to me with a question or a problem. I might ask you, well, what do you think Jesus is in? Where do you see Jesus in this? If we're already raised with him to the heavenly places spiritually, then he is there with us in everything. So we should start learning to refrain by just asking ourselves, where is Jesus in this? Because he's somewhere, it just might be hard to see. Take Paul's words in Philippians 4 seriously about what to think about. I mean, he's giving us a straight-up instruction there about what to think about. I mean, he's not trying to make it cryptic or, you know, there's no hidden meaning behind what he says or something like that. Look for the things to be thankful about in everything. Look for the good things, the beautiful things, the excellent things, the honorable things. Those are the things from above. Sounds very simple. Very hard. Very hard. Spend less time on social media. On doom scrolling, even watching TV, especially news and stuff like that. That is all designed to feed a worldly focus and to prime your dopamine receptors to get those little hits of excitement. Right? Chaco Willing calls this feeding the lizard. What does he mean by that? The lizard is the part of our brain that's looking for immediate gratification, right? There's that little part of your brain that likes that immediate gratification. You know, so you, you get that little bag of M&M's. Yeah. Yeah. I get one of Delwood's chocolate chip cookies in that one. Get that immediate gratification. Meanwhile, my pancreas is going, no, stop! <laughs> <laughs> my pancreas is really small, so it doesn't have much to say about it. The lizard is that part that, that looks for immediate gratification, right? And social media especially is designed to target your lizard. Stop feeding the lizard. I, I actually, the other day, for my computers at, at, my, at, at the house, I went on my firewall and I blocked Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I didn't have to feed the lizard. Easy to do. Carefully spend your time with. Spend your time surrounded by negative people. Guess what? You're going to fall soon. 
You have your time around people who are also trying to set their minds on things above. Guess what? They'll all be thinking about it. It really helps. But most of all, I think it's extremely important to cultivate an active awareness of the presence of Jesus in everything. Just like when we were doing communion, I was trying to cultivate an active awareness that this is very special, that it's not meant to be routine. Right? Because it's easy for it to become routine. It's easy to just go through our day without thinking about the fact that we're seated in the heavenly places and Jesus is with us. We're already with him there, spiritually. So it's up to us to work hard at becoming aware of his presence while we're still physically in this world. Which is something we have to work on until that time when, as the song says, our faith shall be Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that you are present here with us right now. And through your spirit, you are present with us every day, in every place, because technically we're spiritually present with you, seated in the heavenly places, where Jesus himself is at the right hand of the Father in glory. And so, until that time when he appears and we are taken up into glory, we become more like him. Help us to set our minds on things above focus on the heavenly things, on the eternal things, on the good and commendable and honorable and glorious and thankful things, and not be taken captive by the things of this world, that we might honor Jesus in all that we do, in all that we say and all that we think, here where we live in our heads.